0: everyone, and welcome to this episode of Penn Talk Science. My name is Zareen Tabassum and I am a second year PhD student in the Biomedical Graduate Studies or BGS program, specifically in the Biochemistry and Molecular Biophysics Program, or BMB. Today's episode will be broadly centered around the ethical ramifications of climate change. I am joined here today by my peer and fellow BGS PhD student, Andrea Andres, who is also a member of the Center of Excellence in Environmental Toxicology, where the goal is to explore the link between environmental exposures and human disease to find ways to improve the health of vulnerable communities on individual, local, national, and global scales. Here, we will have a conversation on how climate change may disproportionately affect marginalized communities and why these communities may be more vulnerable to certain environmental issues. With that, I would like to welcome
1: Andrea. Hi, Zareen. Thank you for the introduction. I'm glad to be here and grateful you reached out to talk about this topic. As you mentioned, I'm a current graduate student at Penn. My work is in the field of environmental toxicology. Specifically, my work focuses on the impact of a specific type of toxicant, which are man-made chemicals, on women's health. These toxicants mimic endogenous hormones, which interact with receptors that elicit harmful effects on different facets of health, particularly in reproduction. They are called endocrine-disrupting chemicals, or EDCs for short. These man-made chemicals are common pollutants in the environment due to the prevalence of large-scale manufacturing.
0: I see. Can you give some examples of these pollutants that we may come across on a day-to-day basis? Also, broadly speaking, what are some diseases that can be caused by some of these pollutants?
1: Yeah, so as part of my work, I screened many known EDCs to test their effects on important hormone-regulating proteins in the human body. These proteins are implicated in polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, which is a very common disease in women of reproductive age. One of these EDCs includes BPA, a chemical commonly found in plastics. You might see bottles advertised as BPA free and that's because of the prevalence of BPA in water bottles. Oxybenzone is another one of these compounds that comes to mind. It's commonly found in sunscreen lotion. Many of these types of compounds are implicated in metabolic diseases and BPA and oxybenzone specifically are also found to be carcinogens or cancer-causing. My screen found PFOA as a hit for the protein family I was looking at, and it's in everything water-repellent from nonstick pans to popcorn bags, so that's kind of scary when you think about how easy they are to digest. And the sources don't stop there. Food, drinking water, outdoor air, indoor air are all implicated as sources of PFOA as well.
0: Wow, that is pretty scary. It's also kind of ironic how... Oxybenzone can cause cancer, but it's found in sunscreen lotions. But anyway, I hope there will be better alternatives to chemicals like these that won't be as harmful to human health because of their persistent contamination in the environment and also because of their um, high prevalence in our daily lives. However, it seems like right now we don't even have a choice when it comes to being exposed to some of these pollutants. Do you think there are any disparities in terms of certain communities being more at risk of being affected by
1: PFOA contamination? Oh, 100 percent. I think the history of PFOA really exemplifies this. People who lived around DuPont Washington Works Facility in West Virginia were found to have higher levels of PFOA in their bloods from drinking the water. Individuals who drank more tap water, ate locally grown fruits and vegetables, or ate local meat were all actually associated with having higher levels of PFOA as well. As a result, a class action lawsuit was filed against DuPont, and three scientists conducted studies on the population which showed a link between PFOA and various health concerns.
0: Interesting, that is a really good example of environmental disparity, and actually provides a good segue into our discussion of environmental injustices and how they can disproportionately affect different communities. Why don't we talk about some of the reasons why these
1: injustices run rampant in our society? Yeah, as many of us are aware, environmental issues are of concern now more than ever. Just last week, we had temperatures in the 50s in December here in Philly. Just like that, we're reminded of the tangible impact of global warming. Environmental issues concern us all. However, the toll of environmental burden is not shared equally among everyone. Often, disadvantaged and marginalized groups are disproportionately negatively affected. Environmental injustice is an important topic when discussing environmental issues. Take the example from before about dewpoint. Clearly, these manufacturing plants have a physical location, and those that live closer to the plant are at higher risk. Now ask yourself, who is more likely to live next to an industrial plant? an upper-middle-class family of doctors, or a working-class family of factory workers. Who has more resources, both in knowledge and capital, to avoid the situation? Who is dependent on the manufacturing plant? Socioeconomic status is one of the largest contributing health factors in the United States. Not even mentioning access to health care and insurance, your socioeconomic status can affect your risk to certain environmental and occupational hazards.
0: Right. It's very interesting that you bring up the differences in socioeconomic status in relation to people's risks of being exposed to certain environmental health hazards. In fact, there are examples right here in Philadelphia. I actually recently looked into the archives from the Penn Program in Environmental Humanities, and found a case of environmental injustice here in Philly that dates back to the early 90s. Recent Penn graduate Georgia Ray cataloged the relationship between Philadelphia's Black community and the area's fossil fuel industry. Just so that we're all on the same page, the general scientific consensus is that human activities have the greatest impact on climate change, especially the burning of fossil fuels, which releases carbon dioxide into the air and warms the world. So Philadelphia's air quality has been historically bad, dating back to 50 years ago with harmful pollution from fossil fuel refineries. A majority of the Black community lived near these refineries, leading many to develop a plethora of health issues, most commonly asthma, in the 90s. While there have been increased conversation surrounding pollution, fossil fuel-related contamination still remains rampant. With increasing protests for cleaner air, the city proposed stricter emissions With increasing protests for cleaner air from the community, the city proposed stricter emission standards in 1969. Around this time, the term environmental racism was also coined. I wanted to share this example since it highlights your points about the relationship between socioeconomic status and risks of exposure to environmental hazards. And especially since it's pretty similar to the example of DuPont Washington Works. And I'm sure there are many other cases around this country and probably around the world of instances where people who may have lower socioeconomic statuses are forced or have no other choice but to live near fossil fuel refineries or other risky and environmentally hazardous areas.
1: Thank you for bringing up that point about Philadelphia. It really brings the topic of environmental injustice closer to home. As you mentioned, it's important to think of these issues in both local and global contexts. Many countries in the Global South are seeing the effects of environmental decay more intensely than wealthier countries. From rising sea levels in the Maldives to harsher hurricane seasons in the Caribbeans, these countries are seeing the direct impact. As a cruel twist of irony, many countries in the global south do not contribute to the carbon footprint anywhere near the level of wealthier countries. This is to say that they are paying for others' carelessness. However, it is not always just carelessness and neglect that impacts these countries. Sometimes purposeful acts of environmental injustice are committed against poorer countries, as is the case in the plastic waste debacle. Wealthier countries take advantage of developing nations that could benefit financially from an agreement formed between the two. The agreement in question is where to dump the richer countries' waste. This will overload the developing nations' infrastructure and lead to waste overflow in the country. Methods for waste removal are often environmentally destructive and leads to negative health impacts as well.
0: Right. I feel like many of us don't really think about the environmental burden placed on developing countries from the actions of larger, more developed nations. I actually only recently heard of the plastic waste debacle you mentioned in the case of the United States, where they had a deal with China in which the U.S. would send their recycled plastic waste over to China, who would then process it and then make manufactured goods and send those back to the U.S. So it was kind of like a circular sort of deal for the two of them. But in recent years, China has become overwhelmed with the sheer volume of plastic waste that the U.S. has been sending. And so they tightened their regulations on what types of plastics they could send and would only accept plastics that had a 0.5% contamination rate so much of the plastic that the US had been sending was contaminated and couldn't really be recycled into anything since the US could no longer send their plastics to China they started making deals with other southeast asian countries like Cambodia, Malaysia, Vietnam. And initially those countries experienced some economic benefit from processing the U.S.'s plastics, but eventually they too were unable to handle the high volume of plastics that the U.S. was sending. These countries eventually also began to stop accepting recycled plastics from the U.S. Also, processing such high volumes of plastic probably takes a huge toll on the workers responsible for sorting through all all of this trash. And so going back to what we talked about from the results of your screen, they're probably exposed to really high levels of toxicants like PF- PFOA and BPA, like you mentioned before. And so those have been probably causing some really long-lasting health effects. I definitely think we have quite a ways to go to figure out the best way to handle the recycling of plastics without taking advantage of smaller, poorer nations. It would definitely help, I think, to have a systematic way of recycling plastics in the, here in the U.S. That doesn't lead to as much can, contamination. But anyway, I'm glad we were able to touch on some of these cases of environmental injustices on both a local and global scale. I think we'll wrap up here for this episode, but thank you so much, Andrea, for joining me here today and having this wonderful conversation with me. I definitely learned a lot from our conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I was happy to talk about this topic with you.
0: I'm glad. Thank you again for joining us. And thank you for everyone who's tuned into this episode. For more information on Andrea's research or any of the other topics she mentioned today, feel free to contact her at her email address linked below. There are also some more links providing more information on some of the topics that I've discussed as well. And don't forget to keep an ear out for some of our upcoming episodes.